I'm really excited to share it. And I love that you, you know, ask people to prepare their hearts because I do feel like this message can actually prepare you for depth this year if you lean in and if you take notes on it. Now, taking notes, you might never look back at them, but sometimes just the act of writing them down helps you focus a little bit more. And so if you're like got pen and paper, old school, that's how I prefer it. I encourage you, let this be a year of taking notes. Maybe you don't go back and look at the notebook, but maybe you do on a really hard day and you're like, actually, I need that word right now in this season. If you're digital, we've got an app. The notes are in there too. But let's pray before we jump in. God, we just thank you so much for a new year. And we thank you for this fresh word. And God, I pray that it would land on open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Short prayer is a good prayer, ain't it? Well, when I was younger, one of my family... favorite family trips was when we would go to Lake City, Colorado. Now, I loved going to Lake City. It was this gorgeous little town nestled in the valley between mountains. And in fact, only about 430 people live there. Small town. But all of the tourists usually come out for the summer, even the winter, because this town is beautiful and it's surrounded by activities that the whole family can enjoy. Now, we would go during the summer for the 4th of July celebrations. And 4th of July is America's Independence Day. So it's a big deal. And in Lake City, it is a whole town affair. And I loved waking up on the 4th of July in this little town. And you walk out of your cabin or your house and you see all the Americans coming out in their matching 4th of July outfits. You know, super American. And you start to smell the turkey legs roasting. If you've never had a turkey leg, you need to go to America and have one. You start to taste the creaminess of the ice cream from the old-fashioned ice cream parlor in town that has been there for ages. You feel the grass beneath your feet as you find your picnic spot in the park before the afternoon games begin. And I am so here for the games, y'all. Now, this was a big deal. The whole park, they would set it up, and there was this big function, and they would have games. And the game that my cousin and I, my cousin Megan, always competed in was the three-legged race. Anybody confident in the three-legged race? I would beat you all, okay? (laughs) Megan and I knew that this was our race, and we were excited every year. We had become seasoned pros at the three-legged race in the annual Lake City 4th of July games. There was no way you were tying me up to one of my sisters that didn't care about winning. Tie me up to my cousin because we knew she was just a year younger than me, so about the same size when we were younger. We knew that you put the rope on your legs and then you grab each other, you connect your hips, you put your arm around their waist, and you are fully committed to the run because you've got to go at the same pace, the same rhythm, have the same intention. Look, if you line up next to us in a little three-legged race and you're just holding hands with your partner or you're just locking elbows, I know you're going to lose. I know it. You've got to be fully connected because the more connected you are, the more successful you will be in your run. And this is the image that I think about when I read a particular passage in the book of John. You see, there's a scripture that God highlighted to me several months ago and then again several weeks ago as I was considering what my word for this year would be. What was God asking me to focus on? And at first, I thought this was just a word in a scripture for me. But then when I dug deeper, he actually showed me that this is a word for our church. And so I encourage you to lean in. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Other translations say gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, God instructs us very clearly in this passage to abide in him in order to produce fruit. Sometimes we can read this passage and we might think the command is to produce fruit, but the command is actually to abide and then obedience to that command produces fruit in your life. No matter when things are taken away or removed, no matter when things are pruned from your life, if you simply abide and remain in him, he will produce more fruit in you. He says, abide in me. And so that's my word for the year abide. And I encourage you to actually adopt it as your own word too. Even if you already have another one, have two words this year. It's okay. We're going to abide in him and we're going to unpack what this means together. Before we can abide in the vine, we actually have to be grafted to the vine. Before we can rest in his grace and allow the nutrients of his roots to nourish us and help us grow, we actually have to go through a process of grafting. Now, it's very easy when we first read this passage to go, yeah, yeah, abide in Jesus, remain in him. I get it. Stay connected. But y'all, there is more to it than that. With every parable, with every metaphor that Jesus uses, no word is ever wasted. In fact, I think there's layers to everything that Jesus says in scripture, but he wants us to dig a bit deeper. And so I start to ask questions like, okay, why then did he specifically compare himself to a vine? Not a tree, but a vine. When I dug into this process of grafting vines, he showed me that there's a lot more to understand about this metaphor than first meets the eye. Because in order to graft a branch onto a vine, both the branch and the vine are cut in such a way to expose an inner layer. They're first cut to expose. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. We are literally healed by Jesus' wounds. You see, he was cut in such a way that we could be connected to him. And in order for us to be connected to him, we too get cut or exposed in such a way that the inner layers of our heart are exposed to him so that we can be grafted to him. Have you ever wondered why maybe sometimes you start tearing up in church and you don't know why? You're like, I'm crying in church, but I don't know why. Or sometimes maybe somebody's preaching and there's a word that just strikes a chord in your heart and you know God is trying to cut back at some of the walls that you've built up around your heart, the walls that you've built up around your mind. See, perhaps he's trying to cut back some of those hardened layers that you have built up over the years and he's trying to expose more of your heart so that you could be more connected to him. Maybe he's trying to to expose more of the sin in your life so that you can have freedom from it. Jesus was already cut for you over 2,000 years ago. So would you be willing to be cut for him? And y'all, I'm not talking literally. This is a metaphor, meaning exposing your heart to him so that you could truly become grafted to the vine. Because both the vine and the branch are cut in such a way, and then they're positioned together for maximum contact. Because this contact here, where the vine is pla- the gr- branch is placed into the vine, this ensures growth and survival, where those inner layers can truly connect with each other in order to become grafted. You have to be positioned for contact with Jesus. And this step of positioning, this step is the step of salvation. 
This is the moment when you surrender your heart to Jesus. You surrender your life to him. It's a moment of salvation, but there's actually more to the journey than this. It doesn't stop here, and it shouldn't stop here for you. You have to position yourself with him maximum contact daily, not just on a Sunday, but you have to position yourself Monday through Saturday in your private life in order to have maximum contact with Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, in the same way that I was tied to my cousin Megan in the three-legged race, in order for us to run the race together, grafted branches, once they're cut to expose and positioned for contact, they are tied together to fuse and become one. You see, they're tied together in order to strengthen and provide some support. When you become a believer, you actually become one with God. You should become fused in every aspect of your life, not just a check-in and check-out on a Sunday, but fused in every aspect of your life 24-7, seven days a week. And you actually become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Your body becomes his temple. Now, why is it important that the branch gets tied to the vine? Well, because this relationship is a new relationship, and it needs some support. It needs some support around it in order for it to fuse together. You know, I was tied to Megan so that we could run at the same pace and the same rhythm in the same direction with the same intention. If we were not tied together in a three-legged race, it would be so much harder to actually run in sync with each other. We needed that tie to keep us together, to keep us united. You know what really helps you be tied to the vine? Other believers. Allowing other believers to surround you and to support you in this new relationship. Allowing other believers to speak life over you and to pray with you when you're feeling distant. Other believers can strengthen that connection. Getting into the community, a body of believers, can help bring that support that you need. Because you're not meant to do this faith journey alone. We were all created for community. But the thing is, is we need more than community. This isn't the last step either. There's more to it than this. You see, God can freely give you salvation, and he can graft you to himself. And then church and other believers, they can act like a tie for you. Maybe that tie is a small group or a mentor or a pastor or a close friend, whatever that may be. You need that. But eventually, when the branch and the vine have become fused together, this tie gets loosened off. And there should be something else now in place in order for that branch to truly flourish and grow. You see, healthy vines are always supported by a trellis, a structure that allows the vines to grow up and out and around something, a structure that supports the weight of the fruit that is going to come onto the branches, a structure that helps guide the direction of growth, giving that branch strength and longevity and also height to the plant. And I find it interesting that Jesus compared himself to a vine, not a tree, because almost every single vine producing fruit is trained with trellis. Trained with trellis, like this one. You see, if you want to survive as a healthy believer who is producing fruit, you need the structure of a trellis in your life. And what is it? Spiritual disciplines. You need spiritual disciplines in your life if you want to survive as a healthy, thriving believer. And there's a whole array of spiritual disciplines laid out for us in the Bible. All we have to do is look at the life of Jesus, and he models so many of them for us. 
All we have to do is intentionally grab onto this structure ourselves in order to grow. You see, there's a trellis of spiritual disciplines, but it's up to the branch that is now grafted into the vine to grab on to the trellis. And that part is entirely on you. It's entirely on you. God can do his part. Church can do their part. But you got to do your part. Let's look at that whole process. I got some pictures of the whole process. Now, if you've ever claimed, and I know many people claim this, so I'm not going to make eye contact with anybody. But if you've ever claimed church isn't feeding me enough, I'm not getting fed at my church. I'm just going to go elsewhere. They're going to feed me more. Can I challenge you that maybe you have a misunderstanding of what it means to be grafted into the vine and abide in the vine? Maybe you have a misunderstanding. Because here's the thing. Church can introduce you to the vine. Church can help support you in your initial relationship with Jesus to make sure it's strengthened. Church can show you what your trellis needs But you got to grab onto the trellis yourself. You have to develop the spiritual disciplines yourself. Church can only do so much. So if you're saying church isn't feeding me, well, could I challenge you? Maybe you haven't built up the trellis yourself. You got to build your own trellis. And we can tell you what your trellis needs, but it's up to you as the branch to grab it yourself if you actually want to grow this year. You got to grab onto the right spiritual disciplines and own your growth in 2024 because maybe you're not being fed enough or growing enough because you're not grabbing onto the right things Monday through Saturday. And you're depending on other things or other people to sustain you instead of actually owning it yourself. You see, I looked at grapevines and what actually helps them grow. And what I've discovered is interesting. You see, grapevines, they're natural climbers. And so they will naturally grab onto anything, even another plant. So are you trying to grab onto other believers to sustain you instead of your own trellis? Are you trying to grab onto other things or a podcast or whatever it may be or one Sunday sermon? You're trying to grab onto that instead of building up the structure in your own life Monday through Saturday. I don't know. I also discovered that vines that are left to just grow wild on the ground with no structure of a trellis are actually more prone to disease. And... They're within reach of ground-dwelling pests. You know who is a ground-dwelling pest? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, you'll see this moment where the serpent deceived Eve, and that led to the fall of mankind. And then what did God say to that serpent? He said, you will now crawl on your belly and grovel in the dust. That sounds like a ground-dwelling pest to me, doesn't it? So if you are believing that you can go rogue and wild without the structure of a trellis, you think you could just go to church when you feel like it, pray when you feel like it, read your Bible when you remember to. I'm just going to do my own wild thing. You know, my, the woods is my church. The highway is my church. Whatever it is, there's songs about it. There's country music about it. If you think you could grow wild on the ground, I'm just saying you are more prone to attacks from the enemy who is a ground-dwelling pest looking for easy fruit to grab. But if you build up some structure in your life, you will have a better chance of survival. You need structure for survival. You need the structure of spiritual discipline to hold you up when life gets heavy. And guess what? Life doesn't just get heavy when it's hard. Life gets heavy when you're producing good fruit, right? 
life gets heavy when you're actually doing stuff for the kingdom. And if you are actually wrapped around that trellis, you're going to have the support and the structure you need to stay strong, whether it's heavy when it's hard or heavy when it is good. You need the structure to sustain your growth and to keep you up and out of reach from the ground-dwelling enemy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. In other words, in a simple translation, Paul's saying, don't just try, train. Don't just try to read the Bible. Train yourself to read God's word. Don't just try to pray. Train yourself to pray. Don't just try to worship when you're feeling like it. Train yourself to be a worshiper on all occasions. Don't just try to rest. Train yourself to rest. Don't just try to rejoice. Train yourself to rejoice on all occasions and all things. Don't just try. Train. If you're not growing, maybe you've just been trying when you need to be training on the trellis of spiritual discipline. I'm going to say it louder for the people in the back. If you have just been trying, maybe you need to be training this year on the trellis of spiritual discipline. We all need that in our lives in order to grow and get that depth that Frosty was talking about. Any healthy habit needs consistent training to be implemented in your life. Healthy habits don't just happen. They require intentionality on your part. And all we have to do is look at the life of Jesus, the instructions of God, and the life of the disciples in the early church to see what are some of these things, these disciplines that we need on our trellis in order to abide in him. Now, some would suggest there are two major categories of spiritual discipline. There's the disciplines of abstinence, which are self-denial, and disciplines of engagement, where you either engage with God or people, but you actually need both to sustain the other. Some examples of spiritual disciplines of abstinence are ones like praying in solitude, where you abstain from people in order to engage with God. Fasting, where you abstain from food or something else in order to engage with God on a deeper level and be sustained by him. Chastity, where you abstain from sexual relations outside of the covenant of marriage. Rest, where you abstain from work. See, these are all examples of where you are abstaining from something in order to actually be more connected to God. Then there's spiritual disciplines of engagement, which are ones like study, where you engage with God's word in scripture. Confession, where you engage with God or with people to actually confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. Celebration is a spiritual discipline. Come on now. Where you intentionally engage with God to show gratitude and thanksgiving for what he's doing in your life. Service is a spiritual discipline where you engage with the needs of others and show love to people in practical ways. Fellowship, where you engage with the body of believers. Worship, where you engage with God either privately or corporately in worship. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it shows you some of the core things that you need to put on your trellis in order to grow as a believer. These spiritual disciplines should shape every believer's life. And developing some of these healthy habits in your life this year will actually help you to grow up and to grow heavenward and to gain strength for when God wants to produce some new fruit, some good fruit in your life. You need to implement these disciplines if you truly want to abide in the vine this year. I want to end by giving you a suggestion of how you could build your own trellis this year 
by showing you how I'm going to be intentional with mine. So if you want to steal this little acronym that I've made up for myself, steal it. Use it. Um, and Keys, you can come join me now. So this acronym obviously is for abide. Say abide. And A is for anchor my morning. Anchor my morning. You see, healthy habits start with a morning routine as the rest of your day flows on from it. Now, since having kids, I'll be honest, we drifted into a bad habit of allowing Boston to determine our morning. Because here's the thing. There's some parents that are like, oh, yeah, I go wake my kids up at this time. Boston is our alarm clock. He always woke us up. That's just the kid that we got, the one who woke us up. And so we just drifted into this healthy, no, not healthy, unhealthy habit of allowing Boston to determine what time we got up for the day, sometimes at a real early hour. And then all of a sudden he needs our attention and he needs our time and he needs breakfast and he needs his nappy change. And all of a sudden we were prioritizing our time and our interaction with our kid before prioritizing interaction with God. But in 2024, we're changing that because I don't want my kids to determine what my morning looks like or how my morning goes. I wanna be the one who anchors the morning for myself and my family. And when your anchor is cast right, it keeps the ship steady, whether the waters remain calm or if they get a bit rocky. What will you anchor your day to? How will you steady yourself first thing in the morning in case a storm hits that day? The storm could be anything like a teething toddler. They storm me sometimes. Or a nasty colleague. Or unexpected traffic. Or maybe life-altering news or a breakup or financial upset, or an unsuccessful interview. You don't know how your day is gonna go, but what you can do is you can anchor your morning the moment you wake up. And you could anchor it with worship and celebration. You could anchor your morning for you and your family by putting on worship music first thing in the morning as you're making breakfast or pouring your coffee. You could worship God first in the morning and you could celebrate that he has given you another day. So I encourage you to start with worship and celebration. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. You see, when we throw our anchor right in the morning, what we're doing is we are entering into the presence of God. We're saying, God, I don't know what today holds for me. I don't know if it's gonna be a good day or a hard day, but what I can do is I can anchor my soul with hope. I can enter into your presence in the morning and know that however day my day goes, I am anchored to you. So I encourage you to celebrate a new day every single day and start with worship and praise. B is for Bible before social. Bible before social. As I mentioned, Boston all of a sudden became our alarm clock because we were just in a state of tiredness last year. If you saw us last year, y'all probably were like, the frost look exhausted. We were. Um, we had two under two. And we were just trying to cherish every little ounce of sleep we could get. So we were just like, we'll sleep until Boston gets up. But that created an unhealthy habit. And all of a sudden, as a mom, I also realized that my time with God was changing. I couldn't read God's word in the same way that I used to. And I had to give myself grace for that. I had to dig a new well and develop new habits in my life because all of a sudden having two under two changes the way that you engage with your time and with scripture. 
And so I realized I wanted to set a new spiritual discipline, not just privately away from my kids, but in front of my kids. Now my kids might be young. Oakley's only eight months and Boston's almost two and a half. But what they can do is they can observe their mom and Boston is entering that copycat phase. And so I know he's hearing everything we're saying. He's watching everything we're doing. And so what this looks like for me, Bible before social means, I get Boston sorted. He has his breakfast at the table and in the, our neighboring living room. I sit on the, co- the couch with a coffee in hand and I read my Bible. And even if Boston finishes breakfast before I finish my Bible study, he knows that I, he can play around me, but not yet with me. Now this frustrates him most days. In fact, he'll come to me even this morning. He did it. He goes, mommy, all done reading Bible. Mommy, all done reading Bible and wants to try to close it on my lap. And I'll say to him, mommy's reading the Bible. Mommy's having a chat with God and I'll play with you when I'm done. Now he doesn't fully get that yet, but one day he will. And one day it'll click with him that mommy connects with God and having a coffee with God before she starts her day. And I'm looking forward to the day where all of a sudden Boston picks up his Bible and sits on the couch next to me to read it with me. If you are having a hard time figuring out when to read your Bible because you've got kids around you all the time, read it in front of them and model that behavior for them. Bible before social can mean engaging with God before you give your family your full undivided attention, but it could also mean engaging with God's word before you open up social media to consume man-created content. You see, I want God's content to be the first on my morning feed before I start to consume what people have created and what people have said over what God has said. So I encourage you to put Bible before social. I is intentional prayer moments. Intentional prayer moments. We've talked about the disciplines like worship and celebration and study, but we also need to have moments of intentional prayer scattered throughout our day. It's important we take moments to actually disengage, abstain from the world, abstain from the noise in order to engage with God and to reconnect with Him through solitude and silence. Now, this can be found in all of your average, everyday, ordinary pockets of time. Maybe when you drop the kids off at school, as you drive to work, maybe that's a moment when you can pray. Or it could be at morning tea, when you step away from your laptop for a moment, you go make a coffee and you pray in those 15 minutes that you have a break. Or maybe when you take a lunch break and you go for a walk and you connect with God and you pray. Or they could be scheduled as reminders on your phone to pray for specific things at specific times. We need to have these intentional moments scattered throughout our day. And guess what? We can find them in the average, ordinary, just daily pockets of time and use those pockets of time that we've been given. If you want prayer, fasting, and confession to be disciplines on your trellis, then you gotta be intentional about grabbing hold of them in those average ordinary moments. D is for devotions over dinner. Devotions over dinner. Now, I don't know what your typical dinner looks like. It's different for everyone, but it's very easy, because I've seen it happen with us, to allow mealtime to become a moment where you're just simply trying to satisfy hunger instead of trying to satisfy your soul. It becomes a moment where you're just trying to get through, make sure the family is fed so that you can get on with the rest of your evening. But what if this year we truly trained ourselves to have devotional time over dinner surrounded by the people that we love, the people that are already in our lives? And here's what I mean. The dinner table is a great place for you to have fellowship with family and with friends, to sit around and connect with people away from screens, away from work, to sit at a table with food and talk. 
where you can have fellowship, the same type of fellowship we read about in the book of Acts where they talk about the early church. And the dinner table is also a great place for celebration. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18, it says, This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. What if each day we ended it with a grateful heart at the dinner table, surrounded by people we love after a hard day's work? What if we made space and room for fellowship, for celebration, but also confession? Could we make the tables in our homes a safe space for family and friends to open up after a really hard day? Because we shouldn't just confess to God. Scripture also tells us to confess to each other. In fact, in James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When we intentionally gather for fellowship, we make time for celebration, and we make space for confession, then we naturally start to engage in the spiritual discipline of producing disciples. We're commanded to produce disciples. So why not do it over dinner? This is a great time to engage with your kids or your spouse or your flatmates or your friends and talk to them about their days, see where God was in it all, see where maybe some of the rocky moments were and how you could pray for that, and see how you could celebrate how God was in that day. E is for empty your mind. When the day draws to a close, I think it's important that all of us engage with the spiritual discipline of rest. Abstaining from work to reconnect with God, with people, or with yourself. Now, if you want more ideas on how to rest, look up the message on our podcast called Green Pastures and Quiet Waters, where I unpack seven types of rest that we all need. But what this is going to look like for me, and it might be different for you, but I want to have a notebook or a piece of paper by my bed that just says, think about tomorrow, where I can write things down that have been worrying me, that I'm carrying, that are just churning around in my mind. I'll write it down. I'll think about it tomorrow. Because sometimes writing something down physically actually takes away that mental space because it's now in a physical space and it can give you mental rest so that you can actually rest in the evening and focus on God and people. And then you can think about it tomorrow. You could pick it up the next day and sort it out the next day. But we should empty our minds so that we can truly rest and release to God whatever burdens we've been carrying that day before we wake up for a new day and anchor ourselves yet again. Anchor your morning, Bible before social, intentional prayer moments, devotions over dinner, and then empty your mind. And that will help you start to build the trellis in your life, a trellis of spiritual disciplines where you find it in the daily moments all throughout the day. You see that an acronym, it covers the entire day at moments where you can connect with God intentionally and you can build that structure intentionally so that you can grab a hold of it and you can be a healthy vine that will produce good fruit in your life. Because unlike an actual ship that is anchored to the seabed, what is below, we need to be anchored to what is above. We need to try to be growing heavenward and reaching up to God so that we can gain strength and stability no matter what storms we face. And I know when we do this, when we put in the work to establish spiritual disciplines, God holds up his end of the promise. If we abide in him, he abides in us. If we remain in him, he remains in us. 
And then we get the beautiful privilege of displaying good fruit that the Holy Spirit is going to produce in our life. So church, I challenge you this year to abide in him, to do it intentionally, to build a structure of spiritual discipline so that you can have a healthy, growing, flourishing faith. Church is here to support you, but you got to own your part. Amen? You know, as I was reading this, I just want to say one final thing before I pray. Is it mentions that sometimes branches are removed, sometimes healthy things are pruned so that they may produce more fruit. I truly feel as I was preparing this word that God is leading us into a season of harvest as a church. That there's a lot of new fruit that he wants to produce within believers that are seated, seated here today. But we need that structure in order to hold up the weight of that fruit that he's going to produce in our lives. We need to abide in him so that we can hold the weight of what God wants to do because there is a new harvest coming. There are new grapes that will produce a new wine, but it all starts with abiding in the vine. So church, I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to pray for anybody that doesn't yet know Jesus so that you might have that step of salvation. Maybe God has been cutting away some layers of your heart today. And maybe you realize now that you are ready to be positioned for a relationship with him. And guess what? There's a church here to tie around you, to help support you so that you can become grafted together. But then I encourage you to build some spiritual disciplines so that you can grow up and out and produce that fruit.